Thank you, Jean. Look at your shirt. Whatever you're wearing, look at it. How many workers made it possible? Someone designed it. A pattern maker drafted the pattern in multiple sizes. A fit model stood still while a technical designer pinned, measured, marked, and tweaked the muslin. A prototyper made an example to ship to a sewing contractor where seamsters cut and sewed hundreds or thousands of your shirt. Cotton farmers, textile workers, dyers, and possibly screen printers created the fabric. A quality inspector checked everything from the seam allowances to the size of the buttons before it went out the door. Models, photographers, graphic designers, and web developers made images of your shirt and posted them all over where you could discover it. Port workers, customs officers, logistics specialists, and truck drivers moved it to a store where a merchandiser or a buyer had contracted to stock it. And a retail employee sold it to you. Or if you bought it online, a warehouse fulfillment employee packed it and a delivery driver brought it to you. How many of those people earned fair wages? How many worked in safe, healthy conditions? Every Labor Day, we praise the laborers who build our buildings, make our stuff, care for our sick, teach our children, grow our food, keep our electricity on, and make all the things we need in our modern world. These years of plague have shown us who our essential workers really are. We can live without social media influencers a lot more easily than we can live without electricians and farmers. Clothing is an essential need. It can be survival gear or creative expression. For most of history, clothing was expensive and scarce. Most people didn't have huge wardrobes and walk-in closets. They had one good dress or suit at home and maybe a couple of everyday outfits. Most households made their clothing at home, so they knew how much labor went into it. Good clothing was valued, cared for, and worn for many years. And then we got rich and made fashion rules. Every society develops customs and rules around who is allowed to wear what. Breaking those rules usually reads as disrespectful and offensive. Think of an Indian headdress with eagle feathers, which are given to someone who has done something heroic. And then imagine some frat guy wearing one at a Halloween party. Jewish scripture prohibits women from wearing a man's prayer shawl. In Japanese culture, your gender, age, marital status, and profession dictate the shape of your kimono. We may not think that we have such rules, but we know when one gets broken. Imagine someone who's never served in the military wearing a Purple Heart medal, or a 10-year-old girl in a wedding dress. It's literally illegal to wear a police officer's uniform if you aren't one. We have our rules. The more unequal a society gets, the more elaborate and confusing the rules get, especially as that society becomes wealthier. Henry VIII enacted the sumptuary laws, which dictated exactly which members of which classes could wear certain colors, buttons, fabric types, or metals. He wanted to see exactly where you ranked by what you wore. England was becoming rich at the time. And when a nation becomes wealthy, 
usually more goods are available to members of all classes. But societies that are built on the premise that some groups of people have more worth and deserve more dignity than others usually create more fashion laws as they become wealthier. How do I know all this? Because I've spent this time of plague down the rabbit hole of historic dressmaking and tailoring. I've made costumes for years, but when the pandemic shut down all the conventions and events and nobody was ordering Jedi robes or princess gowns anymore, I decided to level up my skills and explore the historic dress living history field. I spent a year learning the Mantua Maker's seam, how the Victorians poisoned themselves with arsenic dresses, yes, really, and how a French painter turbocharged the American slave trade. Fun times. This is French Queen Marie Antoinette, 1700s fashion influencer, painted by the famous artist Elizabeth Vichy Lebrun. She usually wore elaborate silk gowns befitting a queen. When she posed for this portrait in a loose, flowing, cotton, muslin dress, the public was outraged. How scandalous. She looks like she's in her underwear. How common of her. And then, of course, everybody wanted one. This dress became known as the chemise à la reine, or the robe of the queen, and it was made of fabric imported from India. Now, the British at the time were in the process of taking over and basically destroying the Indian weaving industry via the East India Company. When they were done, the weaver's looms had been demolished, Indian muslin was made in Manchester, and the plant that grew the fiber that went into this dress was extinct. France was backing America in our revolution and wasn't trading with Britain. So the women of France looked to the American South for the cotton to make their fashionable gowns. American farmers used slave labor to meet the demand. You know the rest of that story. Humans have worn clothing since the Stone Age, but the people who actually make it have never earned very much. The history of garment making is the history of labor exploitation. One reason is gender. Work that is done by women is routinely undervalued across the world. At the beginning of this service, we heard the talented Ali Louie and Ingrid Untersayer perform Poverty Knock about the life of a weaver in an 1890s textile mill. This worker rose at 5 a.m. to begin her 12-hour day, six-day-per-week shift with no overtime pay. The women were underpaid, underfed, often sexually harassed, and often had their wages stolen or shorted. Accidents and injuries were common. The singer tells of another weaver hit in the head by a shuttle, lying on the floor bleeding and unconscious with no one to carry her out. She dreams of a better life, wishing she had wings to fly away, but knows her options are limited. How far we've come since then. In 2021, Frito-Lay employees in Topeka, Kansas went on strike to protest a mandatory overtime policy. 12 hour, seven day, quote, suicide shifts, combined with stagnant wages over the previous 15 years. The final straw was when employees were told to keep working after a coworker dropped dead on the assembly line. Amazon workers and warehouse employees have organized strikes in several warehouses to protest the intense speed that Amazon requires 
and the increasing number of accidents and deaths in those facilities. There have been many. According to the Department of Labor, wage theft is the largest, most expensive category of American crime. The Economic Policy Foundation estimates that American workers are owed over $19 billion in unpaid overtime each year. And that's just American companies not paying American workers. Your shirt may have been sewn in a prison or an overseas sweatshop where no workers were paid. Maybe it was made in Los Angeles by undocumented immigrants who are in sub-minimum wages and can't strike without being deported. This is the supply chain that brings you your $10 shirts. Sexual harassment on the job is a problem that never goes away. The Me Too and Time's Up movements have once again put a spotlight on this, but sexual exploitation is very common, especially in agriculture. Wherever there are vulnerable workers with limited options who depend on benevolent bosses, there will be someone who exploits them. And it just wouldn't be Labor Day without mentioning that famous garment factory fire that killed hundreds of young female workers and inspired a labor movement. At the time, it was the most lethal factory fire in the nation's history. The blaze started on the ground floor and quickly moved up, fueled by piles of flammable fabric and yarn. Emergency exits were blocked and in some cases locked so workers couldn't leave before their shifts ended. Some ran to the upper floors and were trapped there as the fire rose. Some jumped to their deaths. The factory had a long history of labor exploitation and safety violations. Garment workers protested at the site, demanding better safety inspections, real wages, and government action to prevent the kinds of abuses that went on in all the factories in the area. They had some success. In November 2012, the government of Bangladesh declared a national day of mourning for the Tazreen Fashions employees. And in 2013, the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association expelled 850 businesses from its membership including some with major contracts with Walmart and Gap brands. Unfortunately, those inspections didn't come in time for the workers at Rana Plaza, also in Bangladesh, who were crushed to death when their factory collapsed after years of deferred maintenance, non-existent building codes, and no inspections. You thought I meant the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, didn't you? The one in New York in, in 1911? Sadly, no. If our 1890s weaver were transported to 2021, she might look at the sweatshops where women sew t-shirts for minimal wages, assembly lines where workers sometimes drop dead, factory owners who steal overtime pay, our abysmal handling of sexual violence claims, and underpaid workers buying grub on the slate using payday loans and credit cards to buy groceries. And she might ask, what's really changed? Well, what has changed? Quite a bit. And we should take a moment today to think about how much better some things are. If our Lizzie the Weaver got pregnant by her foreman today, he might have his wages garnished for child support. She would be allowed to work even though she was pregnant. Her baby would go to school, not to work at the mill, and she could get another job not be put out on the street as an unemployable fallen woman with no reference. Slavery is illegal. We have weekends. We have OSHA. 
We have anti-discrimination laws. They're not perfect, but we have them. Historic costumers have started to publicly address the more shameful chapters of dress history, such as how exploited or enslaved people made so many of the beautiful garments on display in museums. Some living history interpreters no longer participate in events that don't tell the whole truth about our history or that take place on historic sites like plantations. Making an 1860s dress can be a technical achievement, a portfolio piece and a labor of love. Cosplaying as Scarlett O'Hara, where the people who look just like you committed atrocities, that is not something to glorify. The brave men and women who risked their lives to organize the strikes, the 19th century reformers, the ethical fashion influencers who call out exploitive companies, the employment lawyers working pro bono to help workers reclaim their stolen wages, all of them have given us a better world. We should recognize how far we have moved towards recognizing the worth and dignity of every person. But we still have work to do. We can't solve all labor issues ourselves, but we can make ethical clothing purchases. A lot of ethical brands are expensive because all their workers are getting paid. <clears throat> Not everyone can afford them right now, but if you can, consider supporting a business that operates fairly. We can resist the climate-destroying fast fashion industry. We can turn off the fashion influencers who hype the cheap polyester tops sewn mostly by slave labor. Those often get dumped in landfills or in Africa, where they're known as dead white people's clothes, and they're piled high in garbage dumps in nations that most of us will never see. We can buy less and buy better, as the Pulitzer Prize-winning fashion journalist Robin Given once said. We can question our own informal sumptuary laws that tell us to sort people by the logos on their clothes or their cars or their gadgets. We learn in middle school that the cool kids all own certain things and that never really leaves us. Many people covered in logos are in debt up to their eyeballs. I don't admire that, do you? And we can support the labor activists as they fight for a better and fairer world. As the Talmud says, you are not ob obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. On this Labor Day, let's be grateful for what we have accomplished and reflect on what we still need to do.